Hi, everybody. This is Charlie Epstein here at the Killing Retirement Podcast, and I want to welcome you to our show. And this is a show that's really focused on breaking down your notions about what it is to retire. What does retirement actually mean for you, your spouse, your family? And I'm a big believer that many of us have inherited what I call myths of money and myths of the way we operate in life. And I believe that those myths are being shattered today because of the world we live in with technology, with how we connect with each other. And this show is really about my reaching out to other like-minded individuals in the world who are really engaged in this paradigm shift, this conversation about, well, what kind of life do I really want to be leading if I was really passionate and fully engaged and doing what moves me most? You know, Webster's definition of retirement is to put out abuse. And I don't know anybody who's working their fanny off to be put out of use someday when they turn 62, 65, or 67. So this show is really about having this conversation with other like-minded entrepreneurs and individuals engaged in living life fully and as abundantly as possible. So that's what we're really up to here. And I'm really thrilled today that my guest, Susie Miller, the Better Relationship Coach, is here to join us. Susie, can you hear me? I can, Charlie. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. You're talking about one of my favorite subjects, relationships. And it's really fun to be able to do it in the pro realm, as I do a lot in the professional realm as well. And this is just, you know, I think everything starts with relationships. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. And actually, uh, you're our first relationship coach on the show. I'm really excited about it. We all know great relationships not only make life sweeter, but good relationships have been proven to impact health, longevity, and success. As a matter of fact, more married couples live longer than single couples. They also make more money. Did you know that? Yeah, it's more abundance. But the key is, how do you create great relationships that don't bankrupt your lifestyle or bankrupt your capacity to enjoy things? And Susie and I offline, we're talking about, I like to say I'm a slow learner with deep pockets. I actually had to learn the hard way, was married for a long period of time, over 23 years, and went through a pretty hellacious divorce. I'm happy to say Susie came out of that. I think I'm wiser, but I've married the most amazing woman, Lori. We work together. We play together. We laugh together. We share our uh, combined families together. And there, I can say personally, nothing better than that. I still agree with you. How do you make that happen? So, Susie, you've been featured on major news outlets, including Forbes, Fox, New Entrepreneur. And I'm thrilled you're also the best-selling author of a book that everybody needs to read. It's called Listen, Learn, Love, How to Dramatically Improve Your Relationships in 30 Days or Less. And this is the amazing statistic. Married for 32 years still happy and in love, and you have three grown adult children. We were just talking about what that shift is about. So welcome to Killing Retirement. And let's, Susie, start with how did you get into this business of helping people improve the relationships? Where did all this start? It's a great question, Charlie. Usually people who get into the helping profession have had a story that somebody helped them along the way. And so years and years ago, early in our marriage, I was very aware of some things that I needed to grow and tweak. And at that point, you know, coaching wasn't even around, you know, back in the dark ages. And so I went to Hmm. counseling. And as I began to have a greater understanding of myself, I began to really see, you know, some impact in my own life, my own journey, you know, how I looked at my husband, I was a young mom. And, you know, as I was going through that, this would be really neat to be able to help people do. So fast forward to when my kids got to be school age, and I was kind of tired of volunteering. And my kids were like, please don't be that volunteer mom. I, you know, went to grad school and got two master's degrees and started a private practice and loved helping people, you know, really create strong marriages, strong families, you know, strong walk with in their faith. And yet as 
the coaching industry began taking off. And a lot of the, and I don't mean to be sexist here, but, you know, men, I worked with a lot of CEOs and executives and high earning entrepreneurs, men and women would say, hey, can you talk to my team about this? Hey, can you come talk to my coworkers about this? Can you meet with our C-level suite? Because this relationship stuff shows up in our business. And so I began to do that. And then as coaching took off, I was like, wow, I can really transition into this coach position where I can train and I can mentor and I can coach. I can do virtual appointments. I do things via Skype and phone. And you really can't do that in the counseling, quote unquote, arena because it's more, you know, medically regulated field. And I just really wanted to help people get from where they were to where they want to be versus kind of digging up a whole lot of the past. So I began to make that transition and have loved it. I really enjoy, you know, working with people. And, you know, Charlie, one of the things, yes, we've been married almost 33 years. It'll be 33 years in June. And they weren't always easy. And they honestly weren't always good. And my husband and I are really open about that. He's a lifelong entrepreneur and we worked hard to be here. You know, I like to say we earned our marriage. And thankfully, there was never a time when both of us were ready to throw in the towel and there was no abuse or harm or toxic relationships going on. There just was a lot of growing. And I think we have this myth that people, oh, we marry, everything's great. We just love each other. It's all going to be easy. And honestly, the loving, falling in love and getting married part's the easy part. The living day to day, the learning each other, you know, really kind of understanding how to live together and communicate well are the places where a lot of relationships kind of begin to falter and they, something's wrong. They think, oh, conflict's wrong or this is bad because we, a lot of us in this retirement age kind of demographic had parents who never fought in front of us. There was the stoic family. And so we don't know that, you know, conflict is great for a marriage and communication, even when it's uncomfortable and sticky, is great for a marriage. And so I love working and helping people do that both personally. And then, of course, you could take those same principles into an entrepreneurial business. You know, conflict with your team member isn't bad if you use it for good. So that's a long answer to a yeah, question. It's great. You, know, you made me think of uh, every good marriage has tire treads on its back. That's a good one. Yeah. And when my current wife and I finally got married, I told her, I warned her, I said, before we got married, this is going to be harder on you than it is going to be on me. And she really didn't understand what I meant by that. And the reason I said that is her kids mm -hmm. were grown and my kids were young. So we were going to end up having this kind of marriage with the trials and tribulations and the friction and everything that goes with that. And I have a, you know, daughter who was the oldest and a son. So there's all that kind of friction. And so literally, Susie, every month for the first two years, she would come home and say, I, I can't do this. I can't right. do this anymore. And I think I was channeling my father and I would look at her and I'd say, really? Wow, that's so bad because I really love you. But okay, which luggage would you like me to start packing? And I would go down into the basement and I'd bring up a piece of luggage and I'd say bras first or underwear. And she would just get red in the face and just say, you know, the problem is I really do love you. And I said, this isn't about love, honey. It's really clear we love each other, but we need to work. That. And then she would storm out and then she'd come home. And for her, it was really, she had this myth somewhere in her soul that you can't love somebody and be in conflict because her first marriage was full of right. conflict. Right? And not all conflict's and good. I, I mean, there's unhealthy conflict yeah. and there's oh. toxic conflict and there's all kinds kinds of that. But I feel like we then put conflict in a bad box. And what's interesting is the origin of the word conflict means to strike together and this idea of friction. And if you think about friction, it produces heat, it produces energy. You know, so without yeah, conflict, we can't have, you know, you can power the, the computers we're doing this on. Yeah. So I really try to reframe it and, and teach, you know, both my professional and personal clients to become what I call skilled 
conflict navigators because good conflict can really help you like there where she said, I can't do this. You know, I'm trying to tell you this is hard for me. I'm not saying, you know, I'm out, but I'm saying it's hard to be in. You know, that's just a good place to go. All right, let's talk about that. Let me understand what you're saying. And, you know, the reality of I want to do something that's really hard for me and I love you enough to make this effort and go through what I call hard to get to good. Mm -hmm. And I think it's great. I mean, so let's talk more about that. So how do we create a lasting and meaningful marriage or lasting and meaningful relationships and work? And yeah, I'd like to hear about that. Sure. You mentioned that she had this myth of marriage. And I think one of the things a lot of couples bring into marriage, and I think this fits for what you were saying about retirement as well, is this preconceived notion, these expectations, you know, these ideas that become unspoken rules. You know, well, my family did it this way, or I always thought it would be, you know, fill in the blank. And when they remain unspoken, then they just kind of fester and they come up in our interactions, but never kind of honestly or authentically. And so I work a lot with people to kind of let's talk about, you know, what's the bag you're carrying? So let's look at retirement. Like you said, what's the bag at this point in life? What are you thinking is going to happen? And when you sit people down, you talk about that, you find out that there's really different ideas. I know for you as a financial expert, you know, when I married my husband, we came from very different family money paradigms. My dad was a doctor, you know, there was a regular lifestyle, regular paycheck. He came from a family of entrepreneurs. And so there's a whole nother world that you live in when you're, you know, I was like a foreign country to me. And so, you know, money issues, things that you bring into your marriage that you go, I just always thought it would be this way. And I find that couples don't talk about them. So what I try to do is go, all right, let's, you know, throw the spaghetti on the table and let's talk about all these things, see how they're intertwined and then figure out which ones we can let go. And I'll tell you about that in a minute and which ones we need to address. So the ones I think we need to let go, and I do this with my marriages, I do this with my teams, you know, anybody I consult or train or coach. And that is this idea of understanding your own personality. And it's not a big, deep, long personality test. It's more of a profile. Like, where do you fit on the spectrum? I like the disc for one. That's very um, helpful. And then when you begin to understand that this style and my spouse is this other style, suddenly I would say in my 20 years of doing this, about a third of the arguments get kind of swept off the table because you realize it's just the way we're wired. You know, I think, you know, John Gray with that men are from Mars, women are from Venus. And it's really true. We are so different in some ways. And when we know that, we can say, okay, this wasn't intentional. He wasn't late because he was blowing off my efforts to meet him or cook dinner or have the special family time. He was late because his temperament gets him so geared into what he's doing, he loses track of time. So we need to set up a way to help that, you know, help that not happen. Remind him, hey, set a buzzer, get off, you know, your computer, go downstairs or, you know, get in the car and go home. But the wife then or the husband doesn't feel like it's a personal affront. You don't love me enough to care about what I think or be home on time. No, I'm just wired that time is a fluid concept. That's a huge one. And so there's a lot of little things you can do in beginning to understand each other, you know, that kind of reduce the conflict. Then you have about two thirds left of the busy life that how do we navigate that we're two people slogging through sometimes quicksand with kids and work and money struggles and entrepreneurial stress and excitement. And then we make a plan for that. Does that make sense? It does. Actually, as you were talking about the myths that people have, you know, he did it because he didn't love me or he doesn't listen to me. It, you know, I have to remind myself, my my wife has to repeat everything she says. You want to hit for that times. to make it a little easier? No, it, it's I smile because I, and I'll take the hint, too, but I, because I know her first right. husband never. Oh, so she her. feels like she has to tell right. you so, I know it comes, so many times to make sure you're listening. Yeah. So I'm real yeah. clear about where it's grounded in. And you know, even though I've said, right. no, I'm not yeah. Tony. That's yeah. <laughs> first up. You know, well, that's Tony. a great example. 
It's Epstein. It's a, you know, I'm more like a, I'm more like Bernie. But I love baby, that because right? what you did so, was you named what was she, happening versus, you know, getting inside frustration. I can't believe she teaches, treats me this way. It's honey. Oh, right, right. We do that, but you know, it, but it doesn't stop it. So the other yes. thing I also talk about is the toolbox. So we uh, bought a place out in Park City, you know, townhouse. And my wife said, you know, you need to go buy a toolbox. And I said, uh, what's that? You know, I'm Jewish. I believe in full employment. So I hire for everything. She says, go to Home Depot and get a toolbox. So about three hours later, she calls me up. And she goes, where the hell are you? I said, I can't find Home Depot. It's the biggest building, you know, on Route 402. She says, at, meanwhile, I'm in the parking lot with a six-pack of beer, breaking out in hives because I don't want to go in, right? She says, I know where you are. Get in there. So I walk into Home Depot, you know, and the door is open, and I can barely breathe. And this big Paul Bunyan of a guy, he's like 6'8", walks up to greet me. He says, can I help you? And I go, tool, 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 tool. He goes, you need a toolbox? He, goes, ah. he picks me up, Susie, picks me up, carries me up and down the aisles, go, you want one of that? I go, what's that? He goes, it's a hammer. Yes. You know, screwdriver, right? And fills the whole toolbox up. And then he plants me right at the cash register. And as I'm ringing everything up, the woman says, Sir, is it anything else you'd like? And I go, can I exactly. take them home? He knows which tools I need. He knows oh. how to use them. And if I could just have them right. live in my closet and come out when I need them, we'd be, we'd be great. <laughs> That's right. Now, I, I will tell you that I then went home and I used the toolbox because I knew that made her happy, right? I'd rather write the check. But now she's also learning because, as you said, you know, her history was didn't have a lot of money in the family. Her husband didn't know how to invest money wisely, first husband and wife, and grew up in a working class, blue collar house. So when she saw me paying for everything and hiring people and loving it, right. she just couldn't rationalize that. You know, now we've converted her. So we have to hold her back. Honey, you don't have to wear your mink stole. Oh, no, I want to wear my mink bulb. stole while the other guy I paid fixes the light bulb. <laughs> You know, I love the idea of a toolbox in my relationship skills lab. We have, you know, this personal relationship toolbox that really your story illustrates so well, because what it took was you went out of your way and were uncomfortable to really go get the toolbox and kind of what I call learn her in my book, Listen, Learn, Love. The middle one is learn and it's learn what's important to her and, Mm. you know, act accordingly because you want to show your love and love well. Um, but then at the same time, you know, as you made the effort, she began to also see, you know, some things about you that shifted her paradigm. And you came to a place that I'm sure it wasn't smooth or easy, where now you have a deeper understanding of each other. And so the little things that might have bothered you before are kind of taken care of because you've moved beyond that initial, well, we always did it ourselves. Well, we always hired out. Well, what do we as a couple want to do, you know, moving forward? I love what you just said earlier about learn her. That should be the title of your second well, thank book. You. Learn her. That would be a you know roadmap for men. How to learn mm-hmm. your spouse. Tell um, me more well, about that. That's interesting. Thanks. I just wrote that down. Roadmap for men. How to learn your spouse. Because right now I'm working on listen, learn, lead, and how to apply these principles to team building. But I do more. Uh, learn her will make you more. Okay. Well, I'll trust you on that financial advisor guy. That's awesome. So learn. Her. Here's the deal. <laughs> okay. Hey, you, know, you know, we, again, you go back to, 
initially when you said, you know, we love each other, we work together, we play together, we have fun together. And to me, one of the best things about being married is, you know, I'm married to my best friend and we play together, we laugh together. If you have a good friendship with your spouse, that's going to make a huge difference. But part of how you build that friendship and part of how you build a lasting ongoing love is to do what I call learn them. Or as my Southern friend goes, I got to learn them. She was in her second marriage and she was, we were talking about this one day and she said, you know, I just got to learn them. I got to learn his moods. I got to learn when he's, what that crinkle on his brow means. I got to learn his, you know, the cycle of how he goes through his day. Because when I understand him more, then I know how to interact. So in the book, I talk about three or four ways to learn, learn them. And the first is, do you know your spouse? Do you know their you know, love language? Do you know and how they like to give and receive love? One of the most important things is to understand that most of us don't give love in the way our spouse wants to receive it. Let me give you an example. I come from a very touchy, huggy family. And so the five love languages is a book by Gary Chapman, and it goes through five love languages, which are, you know, words of affirmation, physical touch, gifts, quality time, and I told you, oh, acts of service. Acts of service. So, you know, the five Wait, love what languages. What was the book again? What was the Gary lesson? Chapman. I swear I've sold more books for, than, you know, yeah. for him than anybody else. It's, a, it's an international bestseller. But he talks about we have these love banks. And so let me illustrate it with this example. Like I said, I came from a very touchy, lovey yeah. family. And John's family was actually very stoic, German stoic. And so, you know, when I met him and, you know, when you're dating, everything's all lovey, kissy, huggy, snuggly because you're not, you know, you're starting out. But as we got married, I realized like he's not a toucher. He's not a snuggler. And my first love language is words of affirmation. The second is physical touch. And I got to do a disclaimer here because every man I know goes, oh, physical touch is mine. I'm like, physical touch is not sex. Physical touch is that. If I'm within three feet of you, we're probably touching each other. We're holding hands. We're snuggling. They invade your personal space because they like physical contact. And my husband didn't. And I'd be like, how can you be within three feet of me and not, you know, be sitting on the sofa and be over there versus snuggling or holding my hand or really, you know, deal, you know, being close to me in that way? And he was like, it's not even on my radar screen. It's not that I don't find you attractive. It's not that I don't want to. It's not that, you know, it's in a box in my head that, you know, fits in the category of the bedroom. So to get to the place where he was able to see how important that was for me, took the knowing that I really like that, you know, level of connection. And so for me, it was helping him understand that versus taking it as a personal rejection. Right. And, you know, as you're saying that, I'll share this, like with my wife, mm-hmm. so we like to cook, which is a great mm-hmm. relationship thing to have, right? Cooking and she'll cook and I'll cook. And But I know when she wants to connect with me, like I might be in my office working and she'll say, I need you to come in here. And I used to snap and I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you know how much work I have to do? You want, what, sure. what do you need? Right. I used to just snap. And now I get up and I go, what? She goes, I need you to cut that onion. <laughs> <laughs> now, now if men are listening to this, they're going to know exactly what, I'm, what I'm thinking and saying. It's like, you had me come in here to cut a freaking onion, <laughs> do you know? And so I learned, no, Charlie, start chopping and cut the onion. You know, we're about to do what you just said, Susie. We're about to have this connection. And this is how she wants to connect because she's in there and whatever it is. So it's like I have to let go of my what I need to get done for me in that moment, unless it's really right. urgent and I have to renegotiate. Right. Because that's what relationships are all about. Honey, I got you want me to cut the onion right now. I need about 15 more minutes to finish what I'm working on. 
Would it be all right if I do that? Uh, Gold star for that. Very well handled. Because what you've done is, and I. (laughs) Well, also because she was holding the knife. No pressure. You know, there's no pressure there. I think, you know, the way I talk about learning them, and I go, like I said, extensively in my book, is it's this idea of watching and investigating. I call it, you know, go all CSI on them and see what you can dig up. And so, you know, go all CSI on them. Go all CSI. And see what you can dig up. Because. When you know, like you knew in that moment that what she wanted was. (laughs) You're good. Thank you. You are so good. Everybody, if you're listening to this, you got to (laughs) get yourself. Thank you, Charlie. You're so kind. I'm passionate about this. And here's where I think it's so fun, though. If you think about your spouse as like a treasure island, you can be on lifelong learning. My spouse definitely a treasure island. And for you to have that idea, I think then you never get bored. There's always something new to learn. And so there's all those little things that... I think I use the image of a kaleidoscope. So, you know, if you peer into a kaleidoscope, you see one thing. But if you turn it ever so slightly, you see another thing. And if you think about your spouse that way as what can I discover about her today? What little thing? What big thing? And it becomes this fascinating adventure. And so one of the things I love to do is like when you she said that it was quality time. Clearly, she likes quality time with you. And you build that into your life. And so one of the things that becomes from this learning them is people feel loved because you've deposited kind of you've made deposits in their bank, in their currency. No, I was going to say, we talk about this in the financial exactly. world. It's no deposit, no return. It's like on the inside of that Coke can. And I remember a long, long time ago when I first came into business and I had no money and I went to the bank. I was 21 years old, right out of school. And I walked in, they said, can we help you? I said, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to borrow some money. You're a bank. And I said, oh yes, come on in. And I sat down and uh, I said, what do I need to do? They said, well, what we need you to do is fill out an application. I said, okay. And then we need you, how much do you want to borrow? They said, I said, $10,000. They said, good. And then we need you to deposit $10,000 in the bank. <laughs> and then we'll loan you $10,000. Right. That was a very brilliant lesson. Ah, no return. No deposit. And so if you take no that return. great lesson and you put it in the context of relationship, I would you know, kind of put it this way, that we are great at showing our love for others in our specific love languages because that makes us feel great. But we miss the fact that they don't have the same one. So like I'm a words girl. My husband is not a words guy. And I will tell him to the nth degree, you're great. I love you. You're handsome. What a good job. And recently I got back from a business trip where I was speaking to a company about, you know, a group of entrepreneurs about how to build better teams. And I came home and I was like, oh, I missed you. It was so great. You know, thanks for taking care of all these family things. And he looked at me and he said, can you just put the receipts from your business trip on my desk so I can take care of the CFO? He's my CFO. So I can take care of that. And to me, it was kind of like, right. Love, my showing love to him is coming home, having everything organized, putting it on his desk, showing him my value, what he does. Because that means more to him than all the words in the world. And so learning that you, you've got to not just make deposits, but you've got to make them in your spouse's currency is huge. Because then when you got to make withdrawals, you have some, um, you have some credit, you know, your credit line's a little bigger. Yes, that is brilliant. So let's come back to the, you said the acronym PROFIT. Yes. And I know you've been talking about it. So what is this 
profit method for you know busy entrepreneurs and executives and just busy people in their day-to-day life. You know, I got to get the kid to the lacrosse practice and then I got to pick up my daughter from ballet and then I've got to go home because the electrician never shows up when they're supposed you know, to. You, you actually set me up for a perfect segue, you know, segue into it because most of us find that we are so busy as entrepreneurs and the thought of putting anything else on our plate besides, you know, the kids, the carpool, the business, the vendors, all of those things, it's really, really hard um, to, to imagine that. You know, whenever I speak on this, I talk about how 15 years ago, we had a beautiful home. We looked like we had it all from the outside. We lived in a you know large, great home. We had three happy and relatively engaged teenagers, two very successful careers. We had financial freedom. We were involved in our community, our church. Life looked great. At that time, if you looked at us, you're like, man, they have it all. But I remember standing in our kitchen after our kids had gone upstairs for the evening and looking at my husband, John, and saying to him, I love you. I can't imagine my life without you, but I hate our life. And something has to change. You know, basically success had taken a toll on our marriage. And so we weren't really fighting, but we were just drifting apart. And I knew that if we didn't do something, we weren't going to make it, especially, you know, given that this was the field I was working in, you know, full time. I think about being an entrepreneur and being married. It's like two boats taking off from the same shore. They're heading in the same direction. But with each move of the rudder, both of them can go, you know, in such different trajectories that you end up in very different places. So without a course correction, you're, you know, you're doomed. You're basically doomed. The other thing I think is important to remind people before I go into exactly what the profit method is, is that entrepreneurship is a risk-taking solo act. And marriage is all about security and togetherness. So you can see how those would not fit together well, right? And what happens a lot of times is, you know, when the marriage fails, the business fails. So I really try to help entrepreneurs get to a place where they are feeling successful in business, but also fulfilled in their family and marriage life. And so it's this idea of you can't give 110% time energy to both. You really can't slow down because the competition's always ahead of you. And a lot of times, and you've probably seen this, you can't turn it off. You're CEO, CFO, nation officer, you're doing everything. Right. So the profit method for me, I came up with it because I thought entrepreneurs are always thinking about profit anyway. So why don't we use that little acronym, that little Mm -hmm. word for an acronym to help entrepreneurs and business? Actually, this applies for private practices, for CEOs, for anybody who's so busy with their work that their marriage might be taking a hit. So P is for priorities. And that just means looking at how you're going to spend your time, setting the boundaries and committing to investing in your family. So you have to be involved in your business, you know, pretty extensively as an entrepreneur. But can you look at your calendar and carve out time, you know, to be together? Can you sit down with your family or your wife and say, what are the most important things for you to, you know, that you want me to be at versus what I think I want to be at? I remember early in my uh, private practice, I worked on Monday nights and our teenagers, you know, were typical teenagers. And the way we spent time together was we watched what I call stupid TV. And Tuesday nights was The Bachelor. Everybody at school was watching The Bachelor. And I, you know, hated the show. Mm-hmm. But I remember one Monday night, the Honor Society induction came up. And my daughter, Emily, I was like, Emily, I, I'm going to move all my clients from Monday to Tuesday so I can be at your Honor Society induction. And she paused and she looked at me and her love language is quality time. She said, Mom, I'd rather you miss the induction, the Honor Society induction and be home on Tuesday night to watch our show together. Well, that was a huge aha for me because to me, the parent, you went to the honor society induction, you know, so her dad went alone and the next day we plopped on the sofa and watched our show together. So I use that as an example because you as your, you know, want to treat your partner or your spouse the same way you treat your VIP clients. What's important to you and how can I make that happen? So that's P. 
Uh, you know, R is rekindle. Let's mm. not live like roommates. You know, a lot of spouses talk about their business as the affair I said yes to. I'm sharing my spouse with somebody and something he loves as much as he loves me. His eyes light up. I use he, you know, he gets excited. He's consumed. All those things he used to be about me. And so it ends up that people just with life stuff, but when you add the business in there, can live like roommates. And so one of my really simple tips that I tell every couple I know is hold hands like you're dating. Remember when you were first falling in love and you couldn't wait to like, I mean, I'm of the era when I was first Mm -hmm. dating, we still had those old bench seats in cars and we slide way over and sit real close. And so it's interesting. Next time you go to one of your kids, you know, games or events, look at how many couples are standing separate, walking separate, and aren't holding hands. And then look at all the teenagers and all the college kids who are falling in love, and they're just, you know, way too much PDA. So I tell all my clients, hold hands like you're dating. If you want to begin to rekindle your romance, you got to hold hands like you're dating. O is um, to open up. One of the biggest things is let's talk about it. And you already just kind of told me a little bit about how you guys do that when you, you know, kind of throw the spaghetti on the table. Honestly, most just suffer because of poor communication skills. We're not taught them. We don't think we usually need right. them till it's too late. And then we're in, let's put out the fire mode. So I talk a lot about and train a lot about a good communication skill. You know, there's something I learned a long time ago in the area of communication, share with you, and you probably know it, but I want to share with our listeners. There's undelivered communications, thwarted intentions, mm-hmm. and unfulfilled expectations. If you think about all communication, when what breaks down between whether it's married couples, with your kids, with uh, business partners, in business with your employees. There's something that somebody wants to say and they'd never say it. It's an undelivered communication and then it gets buried. And, you know, that's the layers and that's where the frustration and emotions, the angers come from. Second, that thwarted intention. You know, you want to get from point A to point B. You want to make something happen and something that the other person does thwarts your best intentions. And then that leads to everybody has expectations. And when they're unfulfilled, then you really don't communicate. And it's funny because I have a teenage son now who's 14. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, and when he opens up and he's talking, you know, and delivering the communication and not feeling thwarted. and, And then I have to draw out of him, you know. What is it you really want and what do you need? And what, you know, boys, forget it, right? And then my daughter, who's 20. <laughs> Help me, Mr. That's Lizard. so great. And it's, I, you know, I told my daughter when she was growing up, I said, look, I do not have a lot I can give you. I mean, good life and, you know, education like that. But here's all I know. I said, these are ground rules for you. Number one, ask for what you want. You may not always get it. If you never ask, it's always asking. no to any, any question you don't. Right. You know, because girls won't ask. Right. Then I said, number two. And I said, honey, this is going to be the hardest one. Contrary to your wildest dreams, hopes and imagination, boys, men and your dad cannot. That's so great. That's my favorite one. (laughs) Go back to number one. And ask for what you want. And boy, that's so great. I have a post up and it's got like super husbands. I should do it about super dads. And the whole thing is for all of our superpowers, we cannot read your mind. And that fits perfectly with open up. We cannot read your mind. Mm. And what's the third? Go back to number one. I love that. That's so simple. (laughs) That's great. But but that's true in business. I have to tell my employees, you know, I have 15, 16 employees. Mm -hmm. Most of them are female. And I have to say. Right. And that's actually how this all kind of evolved into my working with, you know, businesses and entrepreneurs and companies, because that same thing that happened with families, you're absolutely right, Charlie, happens in business. You know, if you don't ask, I don't know. And then there's all this underlying junk and drama and, you know. 
the trains out of the station before you even get a destination. Right. Okay, so uh, we've got priorities, <laughs> rekindle, open up. F is focus, and this is so important. And I'm guilty of this as much as everybody else is when you're with your spouse or your family, be with them and not distracted or distanced. You know, oftentimes we've said, you're the most important thing in my life. And then we pick up the phone to check our email. And so we were watching a movie one night and it was more his choice than my choice. And so I had my phone next to me. I picked it up and I was scrolling through something because it was probably a boring war scene. And but there was some dialogue that I wanted to hear and I missed it because I was scrolling through my phone. And I said to him, hey, can you just rewind that like just a little bit? And he did. And I was like, "Okay, great. Thanks. And the movie went on. And the next time I was bored, I picked up my phone and I'm scrolling through and I missed another thing. And I said, hey, I missed that. Can you rewind that a minute? And he was like, are you watching the movie? Or are you scrolling on your phone? Because this is frustrating to me that you, you know, pick up your phone. You're not kind of paying attention. And then. Yep. Oh, I love your husband already. My wife does this all the time. Exactly. Well, it would make him happy if I didn't say, can you rewind it? He wouldn't care as much. But then I'm interrupting. So it's that idea of, you know, really focusing on your family, being 110% right. present when you're with your spouse. And for entrepreneurs, that's hard. I've got a solution for you. My wife only has. Mm-hmm an on switch and an off switch. She's either on or she's out, right? She's constant motion, love her. So when we go downstairs to, to, to have that quality time and watch TV and she'll say, we're going to watch, you know, House of Cards tonight or Leftovers. And she stands behind me <laughs> ironing. My wife irons. She won't let me take my shirts God to the dry her. cleaner. Not because it costs a lot, but she says, you're just going to ruin those shirts with all those chemicals. And then your skin's going to dry out. You got those dry patches. But it's not really that. It's that she has to be active. So she'll literally stand behind and watch the show. Yeah, exactly. Ironing, like four I think shirts. I started to knit one year. I started to knit one year. <laughs> and you know what? It's okay because she's right. not texting and she's not on Facebook. And she that's what she needs to be fully right. engaged. I actually solved it by leaving my phone in another room. If I have to be, I'm like your wife, I need to be moving or Good. busy. I, I, like I said, I took up knitting or, or sometimes I'll, you know, one of my favorite things to do. And I tell my yeah. couples, this is snuggle up, just snuggle up. When you sit together on a couch for two hours, there's no way you can't not get more connected by being physically connected. And then the, the last one is T and this is different for men and women. And to me, it's tenacity. You've got to be tenacious. You've got to not give up. And the way that looks for men and women is really different. For men, it's this idea of, you know, Yoda said, you know, you know, try or try not do or, you know, there is no try. For men, I want to say there's always try in relationships. Women love when you try, even when you get it wrong, because it shows you made the effort. And that's really hard for men because they're like, if I'm not going to knock it out of the park, I'm not going to try. And so what do you mean they like a partial effort? And that's a really important piece of, you know, tenacity. You got to keep trying, even though it's hard. And it's like in the movie Mm. Field of Dreams, my all time favorite movie. And the voice says, oh, yeah, go the distance. Right. Well, let me ask you this, Charlie, because you've now been, you know, with Mary twice and done some really hard work through a divorce. And you have this great marriage now with young kids and grown kids. How do you as a man feel like when you try and it doesn't go well, when your wife still critiques you? I'll answer it this way. You know, forget your political persuasions that we've discovered that balance and place to do it. Now, we'll still get caught up in it. Right. But the place to really make it work is goes all the way back to what you said, which is what not works for you, but learning what works for the other person. So when you have something to say, it can be heard and it lands it registers, it resonates. Yeah, that's so beautifully said, Charlie. I think 
we all have those, you know, warts and wrinkles in private, but there is this idea of, I'm going to believe the best of you. I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to do what I need to do to make it work. Yeah. And I think what's brilliant about this, I know we have to wrap just in the essence of time, although I would love to stay on here for another hour. I'm just so enjoying this conversation. So we've got to have Susie back. This is so good because I think the thing that I would love to have you back and talk about, Susie, is this notion of, and because now you as adults are transitioning or your kids are grown and gone, but getting into this arena of when you're transitioning into Mm -hmm. what I call the desirement years. Oh, I love that. The desirement years. years. Let's talk about what you desire to do someday, one day, and then you know, do you have the finances to pay for all those things you desire to do? So we've registered and trademarked it. We call it your desirement years. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. something we're going to talk about. I love that. So everybody, I want to let I want to let everybody know how they can get a hold of you. So tell us, Susie Miller, how do we get the better relationship coaches? gifts of how to listen. Thanks, Charlie. That's so kind of you. The best way for people to connect with me is to go to my website, suzymiller.com. And that's S-U-S-I-E miller.com. And that's my hub where I have the Better Relationship podcast, my Better Relationship TV little videos. It has a free download of 10 days to effective communication with everyone every time. It's a little free 10 day deal. It has lots of resources that are in articles. It has links to my articles on the Huffington Post. There's links to my book and to products and to courses. And soon there'll be a link to the Relationship Skills Lab. So it's just the best place to go, suzymiller.com. Susie, thank you so much. This has been so wonderful and so engaging. And I lost track of time. Which well, is, thank you. Me too, actually. I'm looking at time for me too. So, I loved being here as a guest. Yeah. And Charlie, thank you for the privilege <laughs> of speaking to your listeners. Well, we thank you. Just wonderful. And I want to remind all of our listeners that you can go to our webpage. That's killingretirement.com. And I invite you to click on the RSS feed to get our Killing Retirement podcast, which is going to be delivered to you more than once a month. And of course, if you want to reach out to me directly, you can do that at CD as in David Epstein, E-P-S-T-E-I-N, at the401kcoach.com for answers about how you can kill your notions of retirement. And uh, I'm Charlie Epstein, and I want to thank everybody for listening and being passionate in their life. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you on the next podcast. 